Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in many ways. We now reflect on your attributes in our time of prayer. God is awesome, merciful, and my friend. God is welcoming, infinite, and kind. God is fearless, creative, cool, and helpful. He's my father, my redeemer, my all in all. He's good, surprising, butter, and beautiful. He's sovereign, truth, friendly, just. He's perfect, near, wise, creative. God is joyful, my rock, immutable, the best. God is wonderful, mac and cheese, and faithful. God is the word, incomprehensible, patient, and peace. God is loving, forgiving, nice, and my comforter. Thank you, God, for telling us who you are. And thank you for your word to learn more about who you are. Now open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit that we may hear the word with joy. Amen. Our scripture passage is uh, Job chapter 38. If you'd like to follow along, you can uh, grab one of the Bibles from the seats and the chairs in front of you. Otherwise, uh, the words will be up on the screen. Job 38. Situate us in the the book of Job uh, very quickly. The book of Job is kind of an odd book. It's part of the wisdom tradition. And the way the book of Job begins, we are let into the heavenly throne room where God and the accuser, we call Satan, are talking about a person living on earth named Job. And the accuser says to God that the only reason Job loves God, worships God, is faithful to God, is because God gives him stuff. And so God says, or God allows, the accuser to begin to remove things from Job. He takes away his things. He takes away people that he loves and cares for. He takes away Job's health. And then once that happens, there is this long conversation between Job and people who are supposedly his friends. And when that conversation has gotten to a point where God says, enough is enough, God appears and speaks. And part of what he says is what we're going to read this morning. But if we were to take in totality, in all of what God says, what God says to Job and to his friends is, I'm God I alone know. And that's it. And there's something in us as human beings that struggles with that. And we're going to try to honestly reflect on that for a few moments this morning, even as we recognize the message of God to Job and his friends and to us in chapter 38. Uh, We're going to begin at verse 31. The Lord speaks to Job out of the storm. And this is sort of the fever pitch of God's speech. 
And I'm going to try to read it like we might read something like this. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Job, can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who gives the ibis wisdom or the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? This is the word of the Lord. Over the last week, I imagine that a few of us know people or perhaps brought some people we know and love very well to a new place, to college. Maybe we had a son or a daughter, maybe we had a grandchild, maybe we had a great-grandchild, maybe we had a friend, but we had somebody who went to and is starting at a, a place of higher education. Or maybe they're starting a new job. And one of the things that uh, usually happens in this moment is we, we look back and we reflect on how we got to this point. How did we get to the place where we are bringing this person to this place at this time? Right? And there's a lot of things that go into that. There's the fact that we're born in a certain place. We're raised within a certain family. Uh, we grew up in a certain set of schools whose inclination is toward this kind of place. Uh, we could look at some of those dynamics, and, and then we could look at some of the specifics. We could say, well, along the uh, application process, certain scholarships were offered, certain test scores were achieved, certain doors were open. Perhaps we could talk about the relational component that uh, a certain person visited, and then that brought the connection to that college or that university. And so that was how the connection was made. That was how the step was taken. But often, when we begin to sit down and we reflect on how certain events unfold, it's often only by stepping way back and looking farther back in history that we really make sense of these things. Because sometimes in the moment, we, there are things that happen in our lives that make no sense at all. The college we wanted to get into was totally out of our league. Or we went to college for a semester and realized that even though we had thought God was leading us down this path, had opened all of the doors, now all of those doors had been shut. How do we understand what seems to be a clear path that then immediately takes not a 90-degree turn or even a 45-degree turn with maybe two ways, but is a 180-degree turn of go back to where you came from and try again? Yeah. 
Others of us have had a similar kind of experience. We go to the doctor and we get a, a diagnosis and we begin a treatment regimen. And this treatment regimen involves chemotherapy and surgery. And we go through that and the doctors say, it's been successful, you're in remission. And then six months later, it shows up again. But it's not the same kind of cancer. It's a different kind of cancer in a different kind of the body. And we think, how in the world can these things be connected? How do we make sense of things that we don't understand? And there's a second question that goes along with that, isn't there? Because it isn't just how do we make sense of the things that we don't understand. It's how do we hold on to our faith? How do we hold on to trusting God when the things that happen don't make sense? Because it would be much easier to say, to take a step back and say, well, none of this makes sense, so I'm just not going to believe that anything makes sense. Much more complicated, much more difficult, much more just sheer hard to note that we do not know, we do not understand, and yet we hold on. And in many ways, that's what's really at stake when we reflect on the attribute of God that we know as omniscience. And J.I. Packer has a, a wonderful illustration that I'd like to use with you as we think about the different ways that we can approach and understand God's knowing and our lack of knowing. And for that, we need a picture. Anybody know what, uh, where we are with the picture on the screen? We are not at an airport. Do we know which airport? Not Gerald Ford. It's the busiest airport, at least uh, this past week when I looked. It's O'Hare. O'Hare Airport, one of the busiest airports in the world. Uh, this is the center terminal. This is the, about the only place we know if we go to the airport. We drive in, we do the circle around this building, and then there's all of these different things. And if you're like me and you're looking at this picture and you're trying to make sense of uh, the simple question of how many runways are there? Well, a runway is a long straight, but uh, smaller planes need smaller runways. And so if you think sort of look at the picture and try to make sense of just how many runways there are. You maybe get a different answer of 9, 12, and then you start trying to imagine how do the planes get there and how do they uh, land and, and of course planes take off every few seconds there. And so as Packer, uh, J.I. Packer is talking about how God makes sense of the way the world operates, he invites us to be seated at O'Hare Airport. He has a different place, but we're going to use O'Hare. And try to make sense of the planes leaving, the planes coming, which runway they take, what time they go, how the communication, uh, without being in the air traffic control tower. And I would bet that if most of us would go sit at, uh, in the center of O'Hare and we watched for days on end and we watched planes go and we kept track and we kept notes, we could make sense of, of some schedules. We could say, well, United always takes that runway and Delta always leaves that way and, and United Airlines is back there and 
uh, you know, the, the cheap airlines, they're always late. And, and right, so we could sort of work through all of these things and we could come up with a list. But, but then the problem would come that there would be a delay. Or it would be cold and then one plane wouldn't come because where they were coming for, from, uh, they couldn't get the wings iced fast enough. And so we have to factor all of this in. And so one of the challenges is when you look at O'Hare Airport and you look at all of the things that are happening there, one of the, one of the options we have, one of the challenges is to say, there's really no plan. And I would bet that if you've flown, there's part of you that thinks that. There's really no one who has any idea what's going on. It's just that the pilot of my plane has complained enough that they're going to let us go. And the reality is that one, for us, who live in a world this side of sin, waiting for sin to be dealt with forever and always in Jesus' return, Life is sometimes going to be way more disorganized than an O'Hare airport ever will be. And one of the things that we wrestle with, and we would be wise to acknowledge in our hearts, is the posture of saying or understanding or even thinking that God has no idea what's going on. That God is just as clueless as we are. That God is also up in the heavenly throne room with fingers gripped on the throne saying, I hope we can make it. And the reality is that for many of us, this sense of no plan comes when the delays happen, when the challenges hit us, when there's something in our minds that cannot comprehend how God could take this tragic moment and not only allow it, but turn it for good. We learned this past week of a, a young man who's our age who has children at Hudsonville Christian, 38-year-old, gone. Friends and family had no idea. How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of, of diagnoses? How do we understand when our children cannot ever grow up to be who we so hoped they would be? And how do we encourage them to continue along the path? How do we make sense and understand the reality of our world with all that's going on with gender and sexuality and politics and division and divisiveness? To try to wrap our heads around that. To say somewhere there's a plan in all of this. We would be wise to, to acknowledge that our hearts are drawn there. Because to not do so is to not be honest before the face of God. So I want to come back to that, but that's one response. 
And the way that we can get at that response and the way that we think about other people is to use the question, how could they? Because sometimes we not only do this with God, we do this with other people, and we do this in the question, how could they? How could they raise their children to do that? There's no way that our minds can comprehend, and in doing so, we make them below us. And in order to work through living in community with people that we do not understand, do not agree with, and struggle to understand how could they, we have to be very honest and open about this part, the, question, the first question of not understanding God. The second option that Packer talks about is the, the option to know more. And this involves digging deep. Right? It's, it's taking every philosophy book, it's taking every epistemological course, it's taking all of the, uh, reading every single world religion, digging all the way down, learning as much as possible. It's going to the very corners of the internet. It's doing everything that is possible to learn as much information as we can, thinking that the next thing we learn will finally open the door. It will finally open the box. It will finally help all of the things to click into place so we will finally be able to understand and accept how God is unfolding His plan in human history. And some of us are like this, right? Not all of us are like this, but some of us have a, a bent in who we are and how we, God made us to pursue this and one of the, the struggles that we have is there eventually comes a point in that, that journey that Packer talks about. And read this quote. The harder you try to understand the divine purpose in the ordinary providential course of events, the more obsessed and oppressed we become, we grow with the apparent aimlessness of everything, and the more we are tempted to conclude that life really is as pointless as it seems. One of the things that my dad always had on his uh, middle school wall at school was the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. And do any kind of study in any part of the world, you dig down and all you do is realize there is so much more to learn, so much more to know. And that is especially true, as we noted several weeks ago, of a God who is infinite, who has no east or west, who is as high as the heavens are above the earth. If the universe is expanding at an exponential rate, it means that God, who is infinite, must be able to hold that. There is no end. But you and I as finite cannot learn everything there is. And if we demand that we are able to do so, we are saying that we must be in the same place of God. But if we say that God has no plans, it moves God down to our reality and puts us on the same plane. But to do this, to say that we will learn as much as we can, we are saying that we are able to move to the plane of God. And so Packer leaves us with a different option. And in some ways, it's the only option that the Bible really gives us with a caveat. 
See, when God came out of the clouds in the storm and spoke to Job, we might imagine that God sort of took all of his wonder and glory and put it in front of Job and then asked a series of questions which were meant to bring Job all the way down and God all the way up. And we read just a few of those this morning. And what God does in these questions is to say, if you can see any order in how the constellation of the stars move, if you can have any understanding of the one star that is the sun rising and setting, if you can make any sense of the fact that when there is th- uh, thunder, it always follows lightning somewhere, if, even if you can't see it. If you can make sense of the snow and the rain and the seasons, if that makes sense to you and you can understand and comprehend that someone holds all of that, and it's not you, it's not me. then you can be able to rest in the fact that I am God and you are not. And what we have that Job only understood in a brief sense in his statement that I know when I stand upon the earth, my Redeemer lives. What you and I have that Job did not have and see is the way in which God in Christ comes to know. When God comes to us to say, now, here in 2022, it's not out of a cloud. It's not rearing himself up in thunder, glory, fire, and proclamation. You're not God. What he comes to us, what he says to us, who he is to us, who he is for us and among us, is the sympathetic Jesus who came in the flesh to be born of a woman so that he would know what it is like to be us. God being all-knowing understands the uniqueness of human beings, what it is that we wrestle with and go through And that sympathetic Jesus who knows is seated at the right hand of the Father as all of history is played out. The God who knows is the God who knows and loves and experiences and is sympathetic to us. Which is God's ultimate answer to what does not make sense. God says to us and His Son, Jesus, no, it does not. And that's why my Son has come, so that someday all of the things that do not make sense will be undone. And all of the sad things will become untrue. And all of the things that have unfolded in ways that cannot be comprehended or made sense of 
will be put in their place. And in that moment, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray together. God, if we're honest, this is a tough one for a lot of us. We've had things that unfold and happen in our lives that just don't make sense. And sometimes when we look back 20 or 30 years later, we can begin to understand and make sense of how you've worked good. But the reality is there's sometimes that doesn't happen. We go to our grave not understanding what in the world you were doing. And yet we are called to trust you. Not blindly, but to trust you in faith because of Jesus. God who comes. God who is with us. God who is able. And God who knows. And God in that knowing and then God in that presence and in that ability continues to draw us to himself. And so, God, wherever our hearts are this morning, whether we are wrestling to, to trust, whether we are wrestling with, with the academic and the, uh, the learning and the digging the deep, or we, whether we are in a place of resting and trust, however we are this morning, God, may you hold our hearts.